Hi and hello watch fans and welcome to the second part of our Geneva Watch Week review in which Alon, my friendly co-host all the way from Amsterdam and me, Rob Nuts, go back over the week we spent together in Geneva at Time to Watchers, the Geneva Watch Week in the centre of town and the boutiques dotted around Switzerland's most famous city and also of course Watchers and Wonders held at the Palexpo right next to Geneva Airport in case you're wondering. Alon, how are you feeling? I'm feeling well. I had a lot of fun, as we heard on the previous episode, in case people missed that episode. I highly recommend listening to it because it's a two-part episode. And we experienced so many fun things, saw amazing people, saw amazing watches and bought watches. Before we dive in and continue our journey during the week, Rob, did you buy watches for yourself during this week? Uh, Well, I didn't hand over any money per se, but I certainly ended up with a couple of watches on the, well, if not to buy list, the wish list. But there were some top pieces in there, one that sort of suddenly ascended to maybe the very top of my list and my favorite watch of the entire fair and one that I teased last week as a tourbillon. I didn't reveal anything else about it, but since I am known as a, well, I don't serial hater of tourbillons, I guess it's fair to say it's worth mentioning how much it wooed me and beyond that there was certainly one watch that i know now that i will own and that was by volcane but we'll talk about that later on and we'll talk about the possibilities of what that one watch by volcane that i am sure i will own may look like in the meantime could you tell us where our day on wednesday the 29th of april began and with whom we'll be lucky enough to meet yes i will so and I really enjoyed recording last week's episode because I learned about brands you visited because you and I didn't have a spare moment to sit down and actually have a relaxed conversation with one another to hear what we did during that week while we were hanging out. So after a fun evening with the Chapek team on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, you and I went together to Bulgari. They are not exhibiting at Palexpo, although they're part of LVMH and all three other watchmaking brands within LVMH were at Palexpo. Bogric simply couldn't get the space they wanted because the big issue the organization of watches and ones has, not enough meters. Basel World was way bigger. The Mesa Basel, so the exhibition grounds in Basel are way, way bigger. So they can't accommodate all the brands. And that's a problem. I even predict that one day we'll see the whole organization moving back to Basel. That's what I think. But okay, Bulgari, we had a fun meeting. We got received as press. I had a meeting buying watches. We met up with Antoine Penn, uh, Jean-Christophe Babin. I loved the Octoroma, the new one. I did not love the previous model. I think the new one was done very well. Sorry, our dear friend Fabrizio Buonamassa, I totally forgot to mention your name. Of course, we saw you too. The Maestro, he's our next guest also on the real-time show. Antoine Penn came already on the show. If you didn't hear the episode, listen to it. It's up on our website. Fabrizio will come on soon. He had the important task of revamping the Octo Roma. The Octo was designed initially with an Eta caliber, then it got the Manufacture BVL191 caliber, which is a three-hand movement similar to an ETA caliber. And then 10 years ago, 
about 11 years ago, Bulgari launched the Octofinissimo. New caliber, thinnest caliber in the world back then, micro rotor, very slim, relatively big in diameter, so many lines. The Octo Roma was meant as a more approachable, easier to wear watch, because anyways, it's small in diameter, but it didn't really resonate with collectors and buyers. The new one is rounder, smoother, sits well on the wrist. They gave it an upgrade with interchangeable bracelets. So you have the beautiful signature Bulgari stepped bracelet that you'll find on both the Bulgari Bulgari model, the BB model, and also on the Octofinissimo. And they also added a new manufacturer chronograph caliber in the Octoroma. And the pushes are beautifully made part, integral part of the design. I wouldn't call it integrated pushers, but an integral part of the design. And it comes in just below 10K. I believe the three-hand watch is 6,800, if I'm not mistaken, or seven and a half. I think they did well. We already saw novelties earlier this year at the LVMH Watch Week in Singapore. So during that little baby fair, female watches got launched. So a lot of Diva models, a lot of gemstones, beautiful artisanal pieces. For the ladies, they took it easy this year. We saw some line extensions in the BB models with a pink dial. So we, I think we saw a lot of pastel colors all, all over the board. And a Serpenti Sedatori in stainless steel. And they revamped the Serpenti Tubogas. It's beautiful in design, but also technologically, it's very well made because they coil their own steel spring inside the wraparound twirl watch. And usually, they twist around the steel two-tone ceramic or gold. But it's so thin that they can't set diamonds into the, let's say, skin of the snake, right? So because there was a need for that, they made a new gold, full gold version. But they redesigned the links where the skin is thicker. And therefore, you can set diamonds. Because brilliant cut diamonds are basically reverse pyramids. So the bigger the diameter, the higher they are. So that was an issue. So... They solved that technically in a beautiful way. So for a jeweler, that impresses me. Um, Rob, what's your take on Bulgari's presentation this year? I think the presentation from the brand is always top-notch, and I think that the characters they have behind it are just perfectly suited to their roles. I mean, Antoine is a great friend of ours and a great supporter, not just of the show, but of everything that we've done together. Uh, Fabrizio is one of the most talented designers in the industry. And, and Baba, I always say, if you were going to build a CEO in a lab, it would be Jean-Christophe Baba. He's just like the perfect watch CEO with his amazing suntan and his immaculate suits and his like, yeah, indefatigable confidence, I think is what I would say. Like he's a, he's a bluster. He's as close to a modern Bivere in terms of raw emotional power in person as i know and a lot of what he says if i wrote it down on paper i'd read it back i'd be like i don't even know if that makes sense but it certainly makes sense in the moment and that's that amazing power that real superstar ceos 
like him, like George Kern, you know, like these guys that can just walk into a room and command your attention and say whatever it is they want to say and get away with it. That's what they need to be able to do. And I think he's just fantastic. And I love being around him. I don't say much when I'm around him, but not many people do to be fair, but he's uh, perfect for what he does. And the watchers are just excellent ambassadors for the whole Bulgari culture now, which is, you know, growing up over the last 10, 20 years to be a real powerhouse themselves in the product sphere for watchmaking and, those new Otto Romas. Now, I always was a fan of the Otto Roma because although I love the Otto Finissimo academically far more, I have always said that I found the Roma much more wearable and much more suited to my build. And I love, love, love the quick strap change. I think they're superb. I think that the burgundy looks great with the blue dial. My only gripe with the time only Otto Romas is that the black and the blue versions, my two favorites, do not have color-coded date wheels. If they had a blue date wheel with white print and a black date wheel with white print, respectively, they'd be on the maybe list, but they don't. And that actually does prevent me from buying either, which is a shame. The white one does have a black on white date wheel, so that's color-coded, but I think that it's it loses some of the pop that you get from the black and the blue. Otherwise, I thought that the Serpenti was peerless as always, and I can't say anything against those wonderful gem set watches that they showed us because that's the level of craftsmanship I could only ever aspire to. Interesting. And what I wanted to say about Antoine, I even put him one level higher in a higher regard because he's sincerely a nice guy and he doesn't bullshit. And that is an amazing character trait or both of them are. Um, and, and, and I wouldn't put George Carino, I'll put Xavier de Rogmel for example, there as well. And that's maybe why you and I talk so much about them because you and I are definitely not objective. We're very subjective. But we don't talk about them because they're commercial interests. We sincerely like them and I hope the, the feeling is mutual on their end. Um, so, so, so thank you, Antoine, for the friendship. So going from Bulgari, we had the honor to drive the Lucid Air car that Bulgari had outside. So that was actually a nice surprise. We drove ourselves to the Pal Expo. <laughs> In a, what, 190,000 Swiss franc car that you just, through sheer force of will, managed to convince Bulgari to lend you. <laughs> and you have a stomach, an iron stomach, because I literally went crazy mode on the Lucid car, and I didn't get you nauseous. I didn't even get a squeak out of you. And I really kicked the car around. Yeah, well, I've had some experience. You know, we got up to 4Gs in the stunt plane I took up with Fortis at one point. So whatever you're doing in a lucid car on, on terra firma is not going to in any way force me to lose my lunch. But yeah, thanks. You did give me, you'd give me some warnings before you really slammed your foot down though, just so I didn't throw my neck out, which was appreciated because I was like on my phone, like scrolling while you were whizzing around the streets of Geneva, putting this thing through its paces. But yeah, uh, the fine machine actually really impressive. And the range on those things is uh, a game changing, I would say. Yeah, that was fun. So that was a, a nice intermezzo. So arriving at the Pal Expo, we went to, I, I need to recollect. Chapek. Chapek, where you recorded another episode. So that was fun. Where actually I 
ask two questions or give two bits of feedback. But you honestly, all kudos goes to you because you did the majority of the interviews. It was difficult in Polexpo because I had my Wi-Fi off and my flight mode on as advised with the microphone, I believe. But there was so much Bluetooth activity going on in the vicinity. It was um, causing a bit of feedback. So anyone that caught on that in the Chapik episode, I apologize. And it's it's maybe even worse than some later episodes. But we did our best because it's a, it's a busy non-stop environment and we didn't want to miss out on the chance of creating content. And we actually got a, almost like breaking news when Javier realized that the coating on the Antarctique Revelation was actually lighter than that on the regular SXH5, which was hilarious. So if you haven't heard that interview yet, go back to last Tuesday, 6 a.m. it ran and have a listen to it. It's only 13 minutes long, but it's 13 minutes well spent. Well said. So we actually finally saw the reveal, the revelation, the skeleton Antarctic in real life. So since we already shared our opinions there, I would just leave it. Go find the 13, 14 minute episode on our website. It's great fun. Amazing novelties. I was very eager to try on the dark sector. So the titanium Antarctic, which was stunning. Enjoyed that. They made some beautiful, I don't dare to call it ladies' watches, but the Antarctic S with some beautiful dials, which was actually very fun to listen to how Xavier explained the design philosophy behind them. Um, so that was amazing. And then across their booth in Carré de Horloger, which is my favorite section of Watches and Wonders, it's where all the independents are, um, we actually, and that happens a lot, Every meeting runs late and it's one big mayhem of people running around make, trying to make it on time to their meetings. So we kind of, to, due to our own fault, missed the Law Filier meeting, which is maybe the biggest regret of my week because we didn't put on the novelties on our wrist. But we got a rain check, right, Rob? Yeah, we got a rain check, which is even better because now we can go actually visit them in person at the atelier and spend a bit more time like talking to them and getting to know the people behind those watches at our leisure. But it happens all the time. We, uh, you know, sometimes meetings overrun. Sometimes you have to be flexible and we were as we always are. And I think we ended up picking up our Otlons meeting a little early because we realized that we could save a few minutes thereafter and grab a bite to eat so what launch was interesting because we got to sit down with samuel hoffman the ceo one of the younger ceos in the industry i think he's 33 years old now if that's right i think he's he's pretty pretty young but incredibly switched on very calm man got a good vision for the brand and he's going to steer it to success i'm sure and one of his uh, ways of doing so is by collaborating with the right kinds of external partners and he's done so with black badger my mate and colleague from arkenaut james thompson based up in gothenburg in sweden and they've produced a very nice version of the vagabond with some orange luminous material on the dial which recalls the old maze pattern from the very famous Ortlons maze watch and i say that in inverted commas because it didn't actually tell the time but this one does and it does so in an ingenious fashion and i think that it looks absolutely excellent what about you alan what it, what was your takeaway from the black badger piece i, I loved it I, I i love almost everything black badger does i i'm also a big fan of hot laws it's so out there maybe some background info so 
Samuel, is, his dad, is Patrick Hoffman, the old CEO of Ulysse Nardin. So he has the pedigree, he has the mentorship, and it's actually cool because they're friends with the Melan family, the owners of Mosernsee, and also Hold Laws. So they put a lot of trust in him, and that's very cool. And we actually had a very philosophical discussion how they see the brand and where they want to take it. And he was very receptive and open and actually asked for opinion. So I, I really enjoyed that meeting. So that was cool. Keep an eye on them. They have very cool stuff coming. So that afternoon was crazy because straight after you and I got, we lost each other. Although we had a meeting at Louis Monet next door again. You are big, big fans and uh, talk a lot about them, rightfully so, and have worked with them hands-on. I actually never held a Louis Monet watch in my hands ever. So when I finally found you sitting at the table with a very lovely lady from Louis Monet. Watch it, watch it. I was mesmerized by, by the watch. Uh Uh-oh. By the watch. Okay. By the watch. Okay. I was blown away. I oh, I never got the Louis Monet vibe. So from logo to their tagline, the first chronograph ever, and they're very contemporary. And on paper, I thought it was cool, but I could never pinpoint them because it seems it's all over the place. But the moment I had the watch in my hands and you have a 3D vibe and you hold the weight and put it on your wrist, I fell in love. And, and it's super cool. The case is amazing. It's open worked, but contemporary. The caliber is fantastic. Just remind me the name, Tempora or something. That one's um, the Memorial Spirit. Memorial Spirit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't say more than that. I'm in love. And thank you for taking me there, Rob. It was my pleasure. Yeah. I mean, you know how I feel about Louis Monet, my collaborations with him in the past and very close to Jean-Marie, and I thought that their novelties this year were typically whimsical, and some of the Time to Race updates. Time to Race is my favorite collection in there, because I love the Memorial Spirit and the standard ones uh, that I've worked with before in uh, Bringing to Life a Limited Edition, but I do think that that Time to Race has just got a real strong character, an excellent visual, and a brilliant concept, and it's nice to see them playing around with the colors, because I was worried that they would get through that collection far too quickly for its potential because they have an individual number on every dial. You get to choose your number, but you can only have the number once per color combo. So originally they had blue, red, and green available with numbers from, I guess, zero to 99. So a maximum of 100 pieces per colorway. That could have been burned through really quickly. So now they've got a black and red, which is really neat, and also a blue and orange, which is really great. Although I have to say, my only criticism was that the orange strap, and I'm not sure if it was a final piece or a prototype, it it didn't have the same kind of strength of color as the green and the red and the blue and the black. I've had the green is my pick of all of them. I love the green one with the yellow accents on the dial, and I don't know which numbers are taken already from that and how many of them are actually left, but if I were going to buy another Memorial Spirit, I would go for that Time to Race model, and yeah, I don't think I'd regret it because it's a wonderful piece of dial-side movement architecture, seeing that chronograph come to life as it does under the domed edge-to-edge 
Panoramic Sapphire, as I nicknamed it. Okay, moving on to the next brand that we saw, that would be Ressence, our good friend Benoit. So that was a really nice conversation. And half of it was in Dutch, I guess, or Flemish. I wasn't really sure what was going on. You tell me, Alan, what did you talk about with Benoit? So I know Benoit from the day when he started. I fell in love with his watches from the first moment. If you don't know the brand or haven't really studied it, it's spelled R-E-S-S-E-N-C-E-A-E, results. Um, very contemporary, very out of the box, very philosophical. Um, he is Belgian, Flemish, and obviously we Dutch say that Flemish is Dutch, but they think it's in their own language. But anyways, we get along and it's almost the same sense of humor. So he's a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. He is actually a genius, but very modest. And I, I believe the first part of the meeting, we were more reminiscing about his childhood memories with his dad. You remember? Yeah, absolutely. It was very, it was very heartwarming to uh, listen to those stories and have him be so open with us. Yeah. So, anyways, lovely meeting. They launched amazing pieces, and although their watches always had a relatively high ticket price but the newest models i believe start at twelve thousand euros and if you compare that today to a monaco chrono or the iwc engineer that they relaunched which starts around 12 13k and is 16 17 almost in titanium i think a resonance is a bargain but hey who am i so lovely collection Love to see him again and see the novelties and his team is growing and they're very successful and I'm very happy for them that they are successful because they really, really are artists. They're making art. Yeah, that's an understatement. I mean, what they've done like, is not just aesthetically stunning, that's my go-to word, as you know, but also technically mind-blowing. I mean, the early models, the oil-filled pieces, and not all of them are oil-filled these days, but... Those early ones for me were just things of absolute heaven just manifested on the wrist. I, I, I can't express how wowed I was by them the first time I saw them. The, even the concept itself was enough to blow my mind in those days and, and seeing them and being lucky enough to hold them and you know talk to Ben Warris, he's developing new models month in, month out. It's really, really heartening to have that kind of horology. And a uh, man from the Benelux region, there's not too many watch brands around your neck of the woods, but those that do exist all seem to be absolutely world-class with the, with him and the, obviously the Grunefeld boys who we did let on to while we are in the, in the Plexpo. Indeed, indeed. So going from Resence, we went to, I think we split up then. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, because I, I went off somewhere on my own. I went to Cyrus, I think. Yeah, and I was late for my meeting with Piaget. Oh, how was that? How was Piaget? I, was, I would like to have gone to that one. Yeah, so they actually, I love that they also focus mostly on women. What a lot of people don't know is that if Piaget actually started as a watch manufacturer and from day one, he made high-end, ultra-fat, ultra-elegant watches and only later 
moved into jewelry. Although people now think today that it's a jeweler's house who also makes watches, but they're actually a real manufacturer. But what can you expect from them? Lovely female watches and altiplano, altiplano, altiplanos. And yeah, lovely, but not earth shocking something new. But honestly, my meeting got cut short by 80%. So due to my own fault. And then I met up with my longtime friend, Rafael Goebelin, the owner and CEO of Goebelin Retailers in Switzerland. So I jammed in a quick coffee with another retailer. And then you and I met up at, for me, the biggest surprise of the whole week, Charles Zuber. Charles Zuber, Charles Zuber. What a legend amongst men that that man has become. Since our wonderful presentation of a brand by our good friend, Mary Ansel of 289 Consulting in Neuchâtel. Yeah, that was uh, really good fun, really exciting new watches. They're a young brand with a lot of money behind them, and that really helps and shows because everything about their presentation was on point. It was um, a lot of fun. And yeah, the price point will will rock some people, I think, but uh, the aesthetics were really, really interesting. And we came up with a couple of ideas of things we could do together, uh, to which they were very receptive, actually. I'm looking forward to seeing what we come up with. And you're going over it very quickly. So Charles Zuber is not alive anymore. He was a fantastic designer who worked for the biggest of the biggest houses, including Omega. I think he did Patek Philippe. So uh, Vincent Perrego, together with Eric Giraud, which is today one of the best designers out there. And you might heard about him on our podcast because Charis from MBNF talked about him, that he had a fallout with Max Busser about the HM1. So that's that guy. He was also at our meeting, lovely, lovely gentleman and amazing designer. So they designed a watch with an integrated bracelet that is from scratch, but very high-end. New caliber, micro-rotor. It's a form watch, which we usually call watches that are not round. Beautiful bracelet. And and I really had to sit down and absorb it because I saw their launch in Europa Star, the trade magazine, my favorite watch magazine out there. And I it didn't resonate with me, but when I sat there, and had the watch on my wrist, I fell in love. And for those of you that are looking for the newest of the new, love high quality, already have a Nautilus, have a Royal Oak, already did the Chapek, Antarctic, the Moser Streamliner route, definitely go check out Charles Zuber. I highly recommend it. Not a bad suggestion, actually. It is like something that could add a little bit of spice to a collection that featured a few of those pieces that you listed. Interesting that you call this a form watch because my, my ears pricked up as soon as you said it. I thought, nah, that's ridiculous. A form watch is a watch in the shape of something else, like a cross or like a bird. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, actually, I guess, because I'd, I'd call it a TV case, maybe if I was going to call it anything. And then a TV is a thing. So I suppose all TV watches are form watches in a sense because that's what we're saying when we say they're a square with rounded edges, right? No, well, technically, we, we, we usually say round, and then you had rectangular, and then square. These are maybe to the go. Then you had to know. Yeah, yeah. 
And then everything else is a form watch, let's say, or something that you can't classify, like the crash by Cartier. Our dear friend Sylvain Bernard is making a form watch. Well, yeah, actually, hang on a second. That's an interesting point because tonneau means barrel, right? Correct. So that could be a form watch because it's the shape of something else. But I'm not sure that either the crash nor what Sylvain is about to debut to the world is a form watch because it's in the form of, well, we can't say precisely, but looking at the crash, it's a blob. And a blob's not got a form. It's, it's formless. It's a formless watch. It's a, they've, def, they've defined a new category themselves, formless watches. There's only two of them. Ooh. Real artistic watches. Oh, yeah, real artistic watches. Really artistic. Anyways, but we're, but we're deviating. Anyways, it's, it's different. It's really, really different. And you wouldn't give them the chance of day if you saw it on a picture. So if you are that collector out there that wants the cutting edge, high quality, and that could be the next it thing, it could be this, in my humble opinion. So moving on. Before we do, just one more thing, because I think that you, you, your passion for this brand is instructive almost to me. Like I watched you go through the process of having absolutely no idea who these guys were or w which mega stars like Giroud comprised the people behind it and seeing the watch, handling the watch, realizing, hang on a second, there is a lot more here than we realized there's something that could actually like ascend in the same way that we, we felt like that when we saw the Antarctic. Now, I'm not going to say that I am as all in on the initial Zuba models as I was on the Antarctic, but I really respect and appreciate you saying that and putting yourself out there and saying, all right, this could be something. I think there's a couple of refinements that could be made to the design of the dial that would maybe clean it up a little bit. For example, I would get rid of the second hand where it is. I'm not saying I would get rid of the logo exactly. I know you mentioned that that might be something you would think about doing to really clean it up and just go with the form wholeheartedly. But I think, yeah, there's something there, something that could be quite intriguing. Definitely one to watch. Very much so. And they make jewelry as well. And, and we arrived late. We blocked an hour, luckily, because sometimes we do 30-minute meetings or mostly. And we came late, but it was overwhelming because... Eric Giraud was there, so I was starstruck. And then I was starstruck by Marie. And then I was starstruck by Vincent Perregaud, the CEO and, and the co-founder. And then I was starstruck by the watches. And then they brought jewelry. As a jeweler, I, I got overwhelmed. And then they started asking me questions. And they sincerely wanted to know Rob and my feedback. And they were receptive to that. Because Swiss, sometimes out of politeness, ask what you think. But if it's not positive, they don't want to hear. And they even get angry. So, and, and they actually listen to us. And I agree with you, Rob. There are a few kinks in the cake. Imagine you and I criticizing Eric Giraud, right? Who are we to criticize him? But they listened and, and they were very receptive to our feedback. And they didn't just dismiss it to be polite. They were actually like contemplating what, what we said. So all in all, it was way too short, the meeting. But I walked away and only clicked the next day that that was my revelation for this week of what really impressed me as new and not per se commercial, but new because I always shout on this show. I want new stuff. Impress me. Come with new designs. That's this. And then we went to one of the brands you and I both admire, aspire, and want to buy one, a Lange Söhne. And there I got starstruck both by Anthony de Haas, my Dutch countryman and friend, technological director, 
and the new watch, which was for me the technological winner of this fair. Rob, you're the watchmaker. Take it away. I mean, I guess I have to agree with you from a technological standpoint with only maybe one one competitor that could take the crown. And surprise, surprise, it's my favorite watch of the fair again, that tourbillon that's yet to be named. But here we are in the Eilandsona booth with a couple of legends and having explained to us one of the finest pieces to hit the market this year without a doubt what we have is a central minute chronograph from the odysseus sports line langer's famous sports watch that was released a couple of years ago and has been done now in steel titanium and white gold and now back thank goodness in the steel case that made it famous quite amazingly there is a what do we call it? A dual action crown, I think the term was off the top of my head, which allows the pushes of the watch that were previously used to alter the date day, uh, date and day functions when you pulled the crown out to now operate as chronograph pushes when the crown is pushed in and then when it's pulled out to the correct position can be used to shift the date and day. Perhaps most technically interesting, this can be achieved while the chronograph is running. So you can actually adjust the date while the chrono is running, which although may seem like something slightly unnecessary, is probably more common a, a problem than you might think. You know, if you're using a chronograph to time something, when you realize it's maybe ticked over to the first and you need to shift the date over from a, a day that wasn't 31 days long, then uh, you want to do it on the spot. Otherwise you might forget or you might think that you've done it already and be a day out for the next couple of days and that would be a real shame. So yeah, surprisingly useful, but most importantly, it's technologically inspiring. And one of the other weird things about this watch is when you reset the watch, the seconds hand will do as many rotations back around the dial as it has elapsed minutes, which is something I've never seen before. And uh, something that adds another visual wrinkle to the whole feat. But to be quite frank, you can barely see it in real life. It's so fast. But if you got it under a high-speed camera, you'd be like absolutely gobsmacked at what they've been able to do. And when you turn it over, you see that you've got this um, beautiful German silver movement, which has a rotor made out of R-cap, which is uh, interesting alloys, perfectly suitable to that kind of vibration-heavy roll inside such a finely-tuned caliber. And you've got the rubies, the screw-down gold chatons, and the blued screws to complete the classic Langer look. And it comes on that glorious bracelet with the lovely micro-adjust. What can I say? It's over 100,000 euros, so get saving. But it is one of the most fascinating chronograph mechanisms that Langer's ever produced, and that's saying something. And thank God, a central minute chronograph, my favorite complication. And I love the fact that Langer did just one model on caliber. Nothing else, no BS, no pressure to launch new stuff just for the sake of launching new stuff. And didn't he say they developed over 70 calibers in 30 years, Rob? Yeah, off the top of my head, it was 71, the number, but that might just be, uh, that might be me making it up. But it was more than, it was more than two a year, I think it worked out as, which was just, yeah, yeah, unfathomable. Yeah, it was mind-blowing, and, and, and they couldn't have them all there. I think they had 63 of them, but Rob and I were so mesmerized by the watch and, and Anthony's presentation that we simply ran out of time to look at everything else in the booth. Um, we literally didn't have time to see everything. We, we even missed whole brands completely, guys. I, I think that if we would have gone 
seven days to just Pal Expo, we wouldn't have time to do everything, let alone the hotels and the other fairs. But uh, so we apologize upfront that we didn't discuss all brands on this show. Yeah, I mean, we, we're doing what we can, right? I mean, with the time that we had, which we thought was intense enough, we had 38 meetings for press alone, and that's not even counting the additional meetings that you had for retail. So it's full on any way you look at it. And obviously, we're not complaining because we're incredibly fortunate to be able to do things like this and call it our job. But I mean, yeah, we need to stay for two or three more days. You know, we were talking about this at the end of the fair when we were analyzing our experience. And you said one of the drawbacks of staying longer, of course, is a family. You've got two young children and it's a burden to be away from home. And I was thinking, you know what? Maybe we should just rent a massive villa and one of those lucid cars like on the outskirts of Geneva and like bring the family with us so we can stay for like eight or nine days and then we don't have to worry about it good idea we should think about it you never know i'd like to jump in the lake in the morning every day like marie and chloe and all of, and the bozell guys from australia they were um early morning swimming every day to shake off the cobwebs and yeah i was jealous i couldn't i couldn't join them but you know what can i say i'm a professional bar fly so i had a responsibilities elsewhere all right, moving on from uh, one of the most prestigious brands in the world to one of the fastest growing brands in in Mexico, funnily enough, it's its biggest market, and that's Lerone, a brand that it's now celebrating 10 years and has just released some enticing new models that are designed to break into new markets like the Japanese market, so smaller diameters and lighter case sizes, and focusing on their uh, traditional large moon phase eventerine. Dials, but interestingly enough, they also had a watch designed by Eric Giroux in their new collection, and it was the pick of the bunch, unsurprisingly. So if you haven't seen that, check that out. That's Lerone, spelled L-E, space R-H-O-N-E. Also at Barton 7 that evening, we spoke to Singer Reimagined, one of our favorite brands on the go, and I have to say that the discussion with them was very inspiring, and it's quite possible that we might be working together soon on something for the good of our watch industry and also our own hearts. So that'll be nice. Right, that's the end of day two together, at least, the end of our Plexpo day. And then we headed back into Geneva for the 30th of April. That was our city center in Beau Rivage Day. We tried to structure all of our days around locations rather than anything else so we could really focus on getting as much out of our time there as we could possible. And we started with none other than Erverk. So I'm going to button my lip and let Alon, who is the resident Erverk obsessive, take over and tell us how this went with Felix and Martin. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You are skipping the fun night we had. And you, we, already mentioned, we already mentioned in the previous episode, but why I love these dinners, only hanging out with old friends, making new friends, but discovering new stuff. So we hung out with the guys from ID Genève, which we saw the day before which I want to salute because they were one of the first brands to go on the sustainability route like Sadiq Benham did and still does. But do you remember the end of the evening? I was starstruck by the watch Sylvain brought us of his mates. Oh, you mean Vanguard? Yeah. Oh, that was cool. That was wow. really cool. Okay, so sorry about that. I was racing ahead there, but yeah, we went to the Fondue event at Time to Watch Us, thanks to our friend Sylvain Bernerant, who was kind enough to invite us. And he introduced us to a bunch of fascinating people. And these two guys, yeah, they were very impressive. And that watch was something else. 
That's an understatement. It 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 is it is it's it's a watchmaker who comes from Renault Papi, and he's young. He's a genius, and together with his buddy. And I'm sorry, I forgot their names because it was way too late, and we had too much to drink. I think the watchmaker was Thierry, right? I I don't remember. It was too late for me, but I I, I remember the watch vividly. Luckily, I was allowed to snap a pic for my Instagram very quickly. It's a sh- it's a form watch because we can't define the watch. It's a bit MBNF Uhrwerk ish. It's like a spaceship. It has a central tubular. It reminds me a bit of the Vianney Halter Deep Space watch. Yeah. Anyways, it, it, the brand is spelled V A N G U R T. Correct. Watches. The, it, not a D, not Vanguard, but Vanguard. Vanguard. <laughs> Vanguard. Vanguard. And their Instagram handle is V-A-N-G-U-R-T Watches. Check it out. These guys are flying so hardcore under the radar that I have never heard of them. And they already exist for two years. They're past their MVP stage. They're actually producing watches. They're selling them. And apparently they can't handle the demand. So... If you are in the 200K segment as a collector, go check them out. These guys are the real deal. And the, and the website is vanguard.com. And it's a really nice website as well. I know like uh, 200K, you'd probably expect that the website is going to be top notch. But uh, that one, it really impressed me. The way the brand is presented is uh, something to be proud of. Um, I've been racking my brains for the names of the guys. I remembered Thierry. Fisher is his surname. And the other one that we met was, I think, Axel Lewenberger. And there's another two boys behind the the brand, and that's Jeremy Frelichow, that's F-R-E-L-E-C-H-O-X, and Mehmet Koruturk, that's K-O-R-U-T-U with an umlaut R-K. So Lewenberger is the CEO, and he's the one that comes to Renault and Papi or Audemars Piguet, Red or Papi, as they call it now. And that's pretty impressive stuff. The design is just next level. And it is called the Black Hole Tourbillon. Because when you look at it, you think, oh, it looks like a black hole. And luckily, they they picked that low-hanging fruit and gave it the obvious name. But it has this uh, linear digital display, so it's really easy to read to time. And I think one to watch for the future, these guys are going somewhere. Definitely. So that that's fun, right? So when friends bring friends and you hang out and you have these cool surprises. So fun evening. We ended up in one of uh, Rob's favorite bars and he really is a bar fly because we just walked in. We got served pints of the best beer and I'm not a beer drinker, but I actually like that beer. And we hung out. We hung out a bit with people from Watch Pro, from eBay. So it was a fun night. Tom also hung out with us. Now, Tom was like part of the gang by that point, right? So Tom was an integral part of the team. So Yes. So that was fun. So next morning, right and early, I started with Rob at one of my favorite brands ever, Uwek, in their own atelier in Geneva, in the old town. So uphill, not far from Rue de Rouen, not far from my hotel. It's a nice stroll through the old town. and. Great fun. We saw Martin. 
We saw Felix. Felix confirmed he's the next guest on our show to represent Uvec. Pierre was lovely. Yassine was lovely. We hung out with our old and dear friends, Martin Green and Elizabeth Dorr. She's the OG of independent watchmaking journalism. So that was lovely. I tried to get on the waiting list, still waiting to see if I can get on the waiting list to purchase my first Uwek. Finally, they, the good news is for those of you that saw that they are doing the, I believe it's a UR 102 robe or 103. Help me out of here. You mean the round one? Yeah, the first ever watch 25 years ago. They relaunched it. They upgraded a bit. Before the fair, SJX broke the news that it will be sold in a box in set of two. One titanium untreated, one titanium black finish. And the good news during our meeting was that the box was sold out, but they will be available in an extra set separately sold. But I'm scared that by now, while this episode will air, they're sold out already. And I don't know if I got allocated one. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think we have to keep our fingers crossed uh, for for either of us to get one on our wrist, but it's the UR102. The UR102 for anyone that's interested in finding that. And it was surprising how much it charmed me. I mean, its price is attractive for an overt, let's not forget, like under 30k is an absolute bargain for that kind of brown cachet. But what was lovely about it was the contradiction between the beautifully smooth galet pebble-style center and then those wonderful angled lugs, the all four detachable lugs that sit in the case, break it up and allow it to sit so comfortably on the wrist. And then interestingly enough, the time display actually has a little story written on it telling you exactly where Felix and Martin started their journey together and showing how far they've come, which is, I mean, come on, that's as cute as it gets. It does. And we went then from ultra, ultra modern to ultra, ultra classic. And the start of Tourbillonism, Breguet, Rob, take us away because she was your dear friend or she is your dear friend. And we got a very warm welcome, which was great fun. I mean, this is Lucy Notari that we're talking about, a person I have worked with for many years now during her times at Maurice Lacroix and FP Jean and now Breguet and also doing some work for Blancpain alongside obviously two of the Swatch Group's biggest and most prestigious brands. And Lucy is certainly one of the most prestigious representatives one could hope to meet. And she gave us a very warm welcome. We discussed many different ways in which we could work together, not just on the real-time show, which has been in the works for quite some time, but also on some other media projects that I am pursuing, as well as product projects in the future. And she I mean, she knows her stuff, right, Alan? She's old school. She is. She's vibrant. She's energetic, passionate, and she knows her stuff. And with Breguet, there is a lot to know. She showed us some cool stuff. Unfortunately, some under embargo, so we didn't snap them. But on our Instas, you can see some very, very well-finished and elegant hotologie pieces. I have a soft spot for Breguet. Always have. It is a bit Frenchy for me, style-wise. But you can't go wrong with the burger, and the finishing is none to second. I mean, it's a second to none. Sorry, it's it's amazing, and it's always a pleasure to handle these pieces of art. 
Yeah, and I've got a soft spot for Lucy, so let's leave it there and move on to the next category. We'll be talking about Briggy a lot in the future. So when Rob says this, I always thought he was exaggerating or playing a tough boy, but guys, he's not BSing. He really has a soft spot. And I think the feeling is mutual. But let's quickly move on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so <laughs> next up, we went to visit Moser at Bukhara, and we were seen by Claire Tellenbach, and of course, Ed Malan was there as well, looking as beautiful as he always does, with his lovely little polishing gloves and blue suit jacket. People like to know what he's wearing, apparently. It's a thing. Some feedback I got. Someone asked me to say that every time he's on the show, so there you go. <laughs> I, won't tell you, I won't tell you who she was, but yeah. She was like, you know when, you know whenever Ed's on, could you just you tell us what he's wearing? And I'm like, well, okay, if you want. So, I'll try and- okay, okay, so let's do that game. So we saw him on Wednesday as well at Hodlans. Yeah. So at Hodlans, he was uh, very trendy. Are you always this? Yeah. White tea. No, he had a blue tee, sports jacket, nice slacks, and then like casual, neat sneakers, so not Nikes. And on Thursday, he was still modern, but I think he had a dress shirt on. So, but he still looked good. He's one of the most well-dressed contemporary CEOs in the watch industry. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? I never really think about that. But one of the good things about it is the way that he like embodies the brand. You know, it's, it's so important for a CEO to be like the walking representation, not just in terms of character, but also aesthetically like of that brand. Like what kind of man or woman is it that this watch should be worn by? And I think... There you have it, like, you know, young, trendy, always on the edge a little bit. So that's cool. And the watches we saw, unfortunately, again, the big news is embargoed until um, April 19th. So we can't say anything. This episode is going to come out pretty close to that, but I think just just ahead of it. So, um, yeah, make sure you tune into the Mosul website because what they're about to show is, I think, something that will be well-received. Well, it probably won't like blow your socks off, but it'll be a very welcome addition to the collection. Well said. It is really Moser-esque. It's what you expect, what you hope they'll do. What they did launch already before the fair, just a few days before, they made the Endeavor in 40 millimeters, beautiful blue dial, no logo or transparent ink logo on the dial in the three hands version and a tourbillon version. So obviously we handled those pieces. Can't go wrong with them. And honestly, again, Price-wise, I need to speak as a retailer. Um, I think they're very fairly priced, especially with all these mainstream brands pumping up their prices. They're closing the gap between these hotologie independent brands, and it's in their benefit because of that, they seem more fair price-wise. So I was positively surprised that they're trying to keep their pricing fair at Moser. So kudos to you guys in Schaffhausen. Yeah, very nice to see and hear. So next up we had, <laughs> did you do that deliberately? No. Jacob and Co is next. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, bloody hell. Well, okay, go ahead. So I don't know, I lost rope somewhere on the way, so I arrived alone and before at the Beau Rivage, I think. I don't remember where all the hotels were. It's one big blur, but they had a whole floor at the Beau Rivage, I think. 
That was the that was the four seasons that one, but it's easy to get. Yeah. Anyway, so four seasons. You know, as proof, I don't remember anymore. Anyway, so I arrived there. Warm welcome by Victoria. Lovely. She handles PR for Jacob Co Switzerland. It's what you expect from Jacob and Co. Everything is over the top, but authentic, sincere, and fun. So Victoria was lovely. Uh, I ran into my buddy uh, Benjamin Arabov who is second generation uh, son of the Jacob, the jeweler, Jacob Arabov, who was there as well. I had the honor to meet him over 20 years ago when I was living in New York. Spoke a bit to him, hung out with Benjamin. We actually had a very fun time cracking jokes and reminiscing. And then we got a VIP presentation by the head of watchmaking of Jacob Ungo. I think his, his name was Alman. Yeah, he was a knowledgeable chap. That was fun to see. Gentleman, knows what he's talking about. Hands-on session. We got pulled with the Taiwanese press, which was fun. Then my buddy Hans-Peter Piet also came to meet up, and I told him to come up to Jacob & Co. He's the CEO of Bayer Zurich, well, one of the best retailers in Switzerland ever. So that was fun. So so we handled all the crazy pieces they had, including the roulette piece. But the showstopper for the whole fair or the whole week was the most expensive watch on sale during that week, not ever, which was the billionaire's treasure something. Long story short, $20 million for 317 carats of fancy, vivid yellow diamonds. And as a bonus, you got a tourbillon as well. We got to handle it. It was great fun. I would never wear it, but as a jeweler, I can appreciate how difficult it was to find all these diamonds, color match them, have them set together to make one surface of yellow diamonds. Mind-boggling. How did you experience that watch, Rob? Well, the most interesting thing for me was the stone story. So when they first designed this watch, they conceived the foundation made of gold with all of the claw teeth sitting up ready to receive the stones which were sent off to be cut to very precise dimensions now as stones are natural materials and as alan will tell you with through especially his father's experience of stone cutting you can't always guarantee like exactly the micron with every stone being perfect so you know sometimes you have to make concessions depending on the quality of the stone you're working with and what that meant was when Jacob and Co. received back all of these stones, these yellow diamonds that had been cut and polished so flawlessly to get the most out of the natural material, they realized that they didn't actually fit in the settings as they should have done. And so what that meant they had to do, because they couldn't alter the stones, was they had to alter the settings. So they had to go back, and in every single one of the settings, they had to add or remove a little bit of gold so that the stones would fit perfectly and it would all be flush along the top. And I have to say, the job they've done from a technical perspective, is about as flawless as I could imagine because this is like having a, a thousand tiles in front of you and one tile out of place and you'd be able to spot it within a heartbeat. You know, it's the easiest thing to see when something so complex is off and this is very much on. And I tried it on, it weighed a ton and I was having a laugh with Anders and James from Arcanaut about taking a link out to have it resized and uh, how expensive a loss that would be. And they said, oh, you should go one step further and wear it on a NATO 
which had me laughing so hard I almost fell off my chair. But yeah, I mean, obviously it's not a watch designed for someone like me, but I can appreciate the technical skill and craftsmanship that went into it. And it really is the sort of thing that I would go to a museum just to see. So I was very glad to get it in my hands. So yeah, that was that was very cool. And then we quickly had to run to our friend and the godfather of the watchmaking industry and a true friend because he graced us with the first ever interview on the real-time show, Mr. Jean-Claude Biver. Same hotel, one flight up. That was fun. Rob, what did you think of the Genesis collection by Pierre Biver and Jean-Claude Biver for the new brand JC Biver? Well, I have to say, having seen it in person, I'm impressed. I wasn't impressed with the press shots. I, I was like, oh dear, this doesn't look like it's going to come out as well as I hoped it would. And then I got them in hand and I was like, oh, thank God, you know, it, everything hangs together so much better in real life. And it's a, it's a fine starting point, I think. And the bracelet is an absolute standout component for me. That thing, even on the press shots, looks intriguing. And in real life, it is even better. It's like having a ton of gold ingots just wrapped around your wrist. It's it's just neat as. And I think the, the dial designs in person really look good. They, they get the most out of the material and uh, the movements are expectedly top-notch so yeah i think that it's a good first step it's solid enough and i'm very excited to see what's gonna come from pierre who i believe we're gonna have on the show soon so uh yeah waiting to see that and just infused that the next generation seems to be in in safe hands yeah so pierre had to step out so we missed him during that meeting so we just had the meeting with jean-claude himself but uh, i forgot to tell you ropes i'm doing it on air pierre uh dm'd me and he Apologies, he wasn't there, and he's definitely coming on the show very soon. Did you uh, leave him a note or something in the room? Yes, but let's keep it at that. Okay, okay. Well, let, let's keep it at that. That's an uh, that's an inside joke. So going from and for me the same. I was a bit worried when I saw the press shots, and and the problem is I think that people expected so much, including me from Jean Claude Biver, that we expected something mind-blowing or mind-boggling but if you think about it he understands what is commercial and he makes commercial stuff with a twist and always a bit of innovation and pushing the envelope and that's exactly what he did and when i had it in my hands and on my wrists i did love it the the finishing is up there it's the best the strap is really new Case design, maybe not so much, but he did some mix and matching and it works. Sorry, but can I say, we are having one of those eras that I don't think we should ignore when it comes to bracelet design. There's been some really good stuff happening for years and years and years. There was nothing done in bracelet design. And we even had models like the Rouleau not available to us. Now, thank God Breitling saw good sense to bring that back and actually make a rubber version of it as well, which is really cool if you prefer to wear your watches on rubber. But then we've got the Antarctic, we've got the Streamliner, we've got the Otto Finissimo, we've got stuff now from like Charles Zuber, we've got Chopard's Alpine Eagle, we've got Jean-Claude Biver's bracelet. Like we've even got rubber straps like that can give the impression of being made from felt, which we've seen from Erwerk. We've got incredible form-fitting dynamic styling from HYT in that material as well. Like this is a wonderful time for wearability. And I just want to say like, you know, it, at this fair, that was continued. So that was a really positive thing. 
Well said. So going from crazy hotelogerie to another crazy hotelogerie brand, and again, very contemporary, HYT. So Rob, what did you think of their anniversary piece? Because it's their 10th anniversary. And what I found funny, for 10 years long, HYT fans and collectors were demanding a tourbillon. And HYT never made a tourbillon. So is that the tourbillon you fell in love with? It is. It is. Maybe predictably. No, actually, not predictably. I didn't know what you were talking about, actually. Yeah, yeah. No, this was my watch to the fair. This was my number one. And this was like uh, a dream come true for me. So I've been unreasonably attached to HYT since its foundation. I was there at the unveiling of the brand at Salon QP for the first time and saw the watches very early on when I was just a little watchmaker playing my trade at the bench down in Southampton. And I fell in love with this concept, this futuristic idea of telling time through fluid motion. And I was, I think, immediately emotionally connected to the brand because of the color scheme. And it reminded me of the Magnetron Lego sets that I had when I was a kid. It was my favorite toy when I was younger. And now seeing this luminous green flowing around the outside of a watch that had literally bellows inside it was mesmerizing to say the least. Now, I waited, I mean, it's not like I had 70,000 euros burning a hole in my pocket, but I waited to sort of really decide which model I wanted until this week because there was always one thing here or one thing there that I would change about a watch or mix with another one. I loved the H1 series. I thought the H2 was a good development, but I think heart of hearts, I still preferred the H1. I liked the sculptural stuff that they did later on. The skulls were interesting. The more like avant-garde H0s that came out towards the end of the brand's first run because, of course, it, it failed and then was reborn because the concept was too good to leave on the shelf. And I liked them, but they they never really stole my heart. And then when uh, the brand came roaring back and Chirato's influence saw these new cases brought to market, I thought, okay, hang on a second. Now we have a chance. All we need to do is keep it black and green and do something remarkable that turns my head in the middle, either a moon phase or I don't know what. And as it turned out, that I don't know what was a tourbillon that is surrounded by three rotating arms that each carry a small mouth-blown glass globule, also full of the fluorescent fluid that can be seen going around the outside of the dial in that very thin capillary made by the brand's sister company, Pressaflex. And these three arms carrying these three globes rotate at different speeds and now i think one is 30 times a minute and one is 20 times a minute and one is 10 times a minute something along those lines so they're going at different speeds as the tourbillon cage itself rotates and flips itself over on its triple axis it is really a stunner its name is the conical tourbillon black eclipse it's a couple of centimeters high i think it's about 25 millimeters high actually so it's enormous it stands up it's ridiculous but it's very comfortable it's lightweight it hooks the wrist it's a bargain 335,000 swiss francs excluding taxes so don't expect to see it on my wrist anytime soon or probably ever but if i had half a million to drop on a watch then i think this one would be the one getting my say-so. So there you go. That's it. That was the watch I was hiding all this time. That's my number one. That's my dream boat. What do you think of that? I'm happy you're cured of your hate against tourbillons. I'm happy that's HYT because they deserve it. Unfortunately, they went bankrupt once. Davide Serrat, our friend, was the CEO. They changed 
course, it's cool to see that they are honoring their collector's wishes to come with a tourbillon and not just a 12 and a dozen tourbillon, but something new and that you find this your favorite. Well, that's almost a miracle. Congratulations and happy birthday, HYT. So from HYT, we had to race. We stayed at the same hotel and then we did Doxa. We did Nevada Grenchen. We did Volcan. We did Argon, which is exciting. Baltic, Furl and Mari, Anonimo. And then I had to dash off to the airport. And then you kept on going. So, Rob, Doxa quickly. Yeah, Doxa was great. Great to see Yanni Dox, the CEO. He's got some great ideas, some really exciting watches coming up. We won't say too much about it. The core pieces, they're very nice. They add a nice wrinkle to the offering and they keep the price very, very accessible. But he's got a new special edition coming out soon. Can't say anything about it because it's heavily embargoed. But do watch this space because uh, Doxa is a global brand with fans all over the world for a great many reasons. People who may have worn the watches themselves or remember their fathers or grandfathers or distant female relatives perhaps wearing doxes, or maybe they learned about them through the fictional writings of certain authors. And if that's the case, you're going to want to keep your ears attuned to what Jan Edox has to say in the coming months. Moving on quickly, we did see all of the great brands from our good friend Guillaume Lede, Nevada Grenchen, Volcane, and Undone is actually now part of that same group also, although he doesn't really oversee that one personally himself. And Argon, as you mentioned, a new Kickstarter project, which for anyone that loved the Vanguard watch that Alon introduced before, this is something for you. It's basically the affordable version. Quick bit of chat, Alon. Yes, 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 yes. So this is for all you listeners out there that want the futuristic MBNF, Uwek, HYT styled watches, but simply don't want to pay that sum or can't afford it, like me. The Argon watch is a collab between Guillaume Lade, which came on the show and Rob called him Sexy Boy and I've seen him in action. He is a sexy boy. Together with the genius watchmaker, French watchmaker, Théo Offray, which makes hot, hot, hot horlogerie. These guys teamed up. They decided to make cool stuff at an affordable price. I think two, two and a half K. They're going to launch a spaceship for the wrist with an automatic movement. Steel will be available. And they'll make as many as people order during the Kickstarter campaign. And they'll make one in carbon and one in titanium, each hundred pieces only. If you want it, get on the mailing list on argonwatches.com, A-R-G-O-N. Um, and there are no politics, no favors. Nobody's getting preferential treatment. We couldn't buy one on the spot. We couldn't get on the VIP list. There is just one list. My advice, get on it. We had them on our wrist. They're uber, uber cool. I'm definitely going to buy one. What about you, Rob? I'm considering it. I'm not going to be Billy Big Bollocks and pretend I've got limitless cash in the world because even though they are um, really affordable, I have just bought a Ming, you know, the GMT Gilt um, GMT, 
GMT, Guild GMT, of course. It's a GMT. It's a GMT. Did I mention it? A GMT. I just bought that one. So I had to pay the balance on that, which was about 1,600 euros. And I don't have a limitless watch budget, so I may or may not go for this because my eyes are attuned to another watch from Guillaume Lede's stable from the Volcane brand. Just so it's clear how to get onto the subscription list. So if you want to hear from Argon about this watch and you want to get one, which to be fair, if you do want, you're going to need to be part of this list because they're going to go in a heartbeat, I'm sure. You can go to their Instagram account, which is at Argon Watches. That's A-R-G-O-N-W-A-T-C-H-E-S. And then you will find a link which you need to click on. It's welcome.argonwatches.com forward slash argonwatches. And then that will take you to a sign-up page. You can click on that and you can get all of the information straight into your inbox. And if you like exciting design, futuristic design, and if you like the Vanguard that we talked about before, and I mean that, go check that out first. If you're interested in an affordable watch, this is going to be, what, around 1,499 euros to start. If I'm not mistaken, they were speaking about two thousand, two and a half thousand. It it does say fifteen hundred on the website, but I don't know if that's correct. I'm guessing that's early bird prices. I'm guessing there'll be like maybe ten pieces available at that price. So if you want a fourteen ninety nine start, then you need to be really quick. We're not being paid for them by this, by the way. In fact, we should probably shut up because if we do want to buy one, we're going to be in the same race as you for it. But it's really exciting, and it's just the kind of thing that, like, if you're into interest in horology you should you know have a look at at least and decide if it's for you or not it won't be for everyone my personal favorite is the carbon fiber one because i like the way that the top of the case is much more evenly curved i think i think it's better than the the polish on the on the steel ones but you know you disagree with me right well actually i don't you know my to go to materials titanium yeah um but you said that while we were and looking at um, Nevada Grincher watches and that and we were all over the place and it was maybe the f- most fun room in that whole hotel <laughs> that's good wasn't it yeah yeah so there was so much going on and then I noticed I had five minutes before I had to catch a plane and and and, and I was running out of time so there was a lot going through my head but it did register what you said and I had a quick look and you were right because the steel I think is polished and the titanium is brushed and then you suddenly saw a weird curve in that watch but anyways they're so cool just pick whatever you like yeah at that price and i know it's not like no money for everybody at all it's a lot of money for many many people but if you are in the market for something a little bit edgy and you've got that kind of money to spend on a watch that will bring a smile to your face and also be one of not so many pieces then yeah we we can't really recommend it and guillaume's work enough and talking of guillaume's work it's the Volcane Cricket in 36mm that is a watch that I will definitely add to my collection and hopefully in a real-time show colorway. Now, wouldn't that be fun? That would be amazing. Yeah, and I think that's on the cards now. So all of our fans on the real-time show network and otherwise and further afield and all of the kind people that contact us via Instagram or via email, then please do let us know if that's something that you'd like to see because... You know, we would love to work with him, one of our favorite guests, and definitely a sexy boy. He needs his own theme tune, do you think? Like a sort of a flute. He does, he does, he does. Okay, so now at this point, you jet off, and I'm left to see Byrne and Bozell. When Byrne, uh, we talked about it before, they were a brand that really debuted at Geneva Watch Days last year. 
their shtick is that they have these four rotating cubes at the cardinal marker points of 12, 3, 6, and 9, and every single hour the cube flips and reveals a different marker. It could be Arabic, it could be Chinese, it could be Roman, it could be an index, it could be an emoji for all I know and certainly do care because let's not talk about that goddamn emoji watch that Rolex launched because that will just get me angry. Um, Byrne is an interesting company run by John Byrne and he uh, is a very talented watchmaker and he's conceived this rather novel display. The newer models have got lovely petrol coloured dials that change colour very beautifully in the light and they've got scalloped case sides which I think improve the overall case architecture and wearability and also add a little bit more character to what was otherwise quite a tall and I found maybe less inspiring case design but they're going in the right direction they got some good support good people backing them so yeah looking forward to seeing more from them and then finally the last meeting on the cards which was a perfect one to end upon because it was our friends from Australia Aaron and Christoph of Bozell watches that stands for Beyond Australian Elements that's the B the AUS and the ELE these guys are very passionate about growing the Australian watchmaking market and they're doing a grand job with their current collection and they're also doing a lot of good work behind the scenes and in front of them occasionally handing back their some of their profits to veterans and uh, getting veterans involved in the production of the watches also. So that's really nice to see. Super cool guys. Um, Aaron actually became part of a very exclusive WhatsApp chat group that we founded after you left, Alan, which was basically me, Lucy Cheese Wright, and all the girls from 289. And we had a lovely time. Where's my invite? You weren't there. It wasn't relevant. It was It was all about the street party that we went to. Ah. So I'll add you to it next time we go to an event. I'll add you to it now if you want, but we're not, not using it. Maybe we should make a virtual after party. Oh, that'd be cool. That lasts till the next fair. <laughs> well okay well, that's not a bad idea yeah i've got six months to go i guess until um geneva watch days but we've got lots to do in between then there will of course be activities in america the guys from arconaut will be showing it wind up in san francisco and then again i'll be traveling up to stockholm the week after in helsinki the week after that for yet more events and i'm sure that that will continue through the summer and we'll definitely do our best to pop up at watch pro salon in london as well you know, we had such a nice two episodes, and now I'm ending it with a heavy dose of FOMO. Oh, God. Do you want to come with? Do you want to come with me? You can come with me if you want. Yeah, dude. Well, yeah. it's I'm cold turkey right now for two weeks already. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We need some more event action in our lives. So, talking of those next and upcoming events, if anyone would like to ask us questions about them or point us in the direction of things that you'd like us to talk about, then please do get in touch. You can do so on Instagram. That's at Rob Nuds, R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, or at Alon Ben Joseph. That's A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. Or contact us via email, either rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. We will be back next week with an interview with one of watchmaking's leading lights so until then stay safe and keep on ticking 